It's so good to be back again this evening with you all. It is my privilege tonight to share a word of testimony. It's so good to see each and every one of you, as I've said. And also, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank the leadership here at Grange Baptist uh, for the privilege of opening the Word of God with you this morning and also this evening. If you're here this morning and you came back again tonight, well, it's very good to see you. Because I didn't say anything too dodgy and you thought you'd come back again to hear more. And that's so good. If I didn't say anything dodgy and you felt offended, you kept it to yourself. And that's good as well. And thank you so much for that. But before I share a word of testimony this evening, again, perhaps we'll just tell ourselves and seek God's face in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again, we come to thee. And Father, we pray that as we turn in the pages of Holy Scripture just now, as we share a word of testimony, we pray, Father, that you would speak. We pray, Father, that very simply. We pray, Father, that there will be an open door, a heart that is open and receptive to the Word of God. And we pray, Father, that you would speak again with that voice that wakes the dead, very simply. Father, we thank thee for the gospel, and that is a power of God unto salvation. And we thank thee, Father, for the power of salvation and how that power and the grace and love of God can change a life. And we pray, Father, to that end tonight, that a life would be changed as a result of salvation power being wrought in this place. Father, we pray that you'd bless in such a way. For we do pray this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Before I share a word of testimony this evening, I'd like to make one thing transparently clear. I don't like wearing jackets, by the way. You've probably figured that by now. But I'd like to make one thing transparently clear just as I begin. This is not a story about Brian Cruz, although it might seem like it at times. It's not a story about me. It's a story about God and what God can do in the life of an individual. It's a story about God. But I'm sure many of you already know my name. My name is Brian, Brian Cruz. I have to say from the onset that I'm no relation to Tom Cruz. I get that everywhere I go. And it's gotten to the stage now in life where you have to feel a laugh. <laughs> you know... But no, I'm no relation to Tom Cruise. And I was born on the 5th of February, 1995. If there's anybody in the meeting tonight, and you're much like myself, and you're terrible at maths, I'm 28 years old. And I'm from the town of Limavady, a bustling metropolis, so it is, if you've ever been there. But I'm from Limavady, born and bred. Now, I wish I could stand before you tonight and tell you that I was born into a Christian home. But I wasn't. I wasn't born into a Christian home. But I did have a Christian influence in my life. You know, in the Bible, Timothy had two Christian influences. He had his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. And they were a godly influence in his life. And the godly influence in my life was my grandmother, Evelyn. Evelyn Cruz was my granny, and she attended Limavady Baptist Church. And by all accounts, her life was just fragrant with the love of the Lord. And she was a faithful prayer warrior. And she prayed every day for the salvation of her five grandchildren. I'm the youngest of five. And although that sounds as though I might be spoilt, I'm not. Whenever mum and dad buy presents for the first four, there's not much left in the truck for you. Uh, but that's the case. I'm the youngest of five. And my grandmother prayed for the salvation of her five grandchildren all throughout her Christian life. And sadly, she didn't live to see her prayers answered. In 2003, my grandmother went home to be with the Lord. I really love that phrase from the Salvation Army, promoted to glory. 
In 2003, my grandmother was promoted to glory. She didn't see her prayers answered here on earth, but that doesn't mean they weren't answered, because they were. And God moved in our family in a very special way. As I said, I'm the youngest of five. My dad, although I don't look it, I actually come from farming stock. I know I don't look it. But my dad is really that last generation of big burly men. And my dad has bog hands, rough calloused hands, and he tells stories of digging peats in the mountains and gathering potatoes with his bare hands. And so as a little boy, I learned very quickly and not to disobey my dad because he knew what calloused hands felt like. Um, but that didn't stop me from being a rascal from time to time. And my mother is a very doting woman. And she continues to dote on all of her grandchildren. And I grew up in a, in a family with parents, parents who understood the responsibility of parenthood. They didn't give me everything that I wanted, but they gave me everything that I needed. And I suppose growing up, I was just like every other small boy. Uh, I had a gap between my teeth and I had a cuts on my knees and elbows. I supported Manchester United as a small boy, which is unique in itself because nobody supports them anymore. Uh, but I supported them whenever I was little. And so I grew up much like any other small boy. But as I said, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And I really want to make a point of that. Because if you're here tonight and you did grow up in a Christian home, or perhaps you are growing up in a Christian home, and your parents, your mum and dad, take time to teach you the word of God. They take time to teach you the gospel. And perhaps you're maybe at that stage in life where perhaps you think the Bible's silly. Maybe you came to a point in your life as a teenager, you're an adult now, and you thought, well, the things that my parents believe, that's just silly. The Bible's full of lies. It's full of rubbish. I want to tell you, friend, the fact that you were born into a Christian home with godly parents, you were given a privilege that's not given to everyone. You had a privilege that's not given to everyone. And if you, if you moved away from that and you no longer believe the things of the Bible, you think it's silly, you think it's foolishness, and you chose the world over the things of Scripture, over salvation, then I want to tell you, friend, you squandered a privilege that's not given to everyone. You squandered it. I hope that's not the case tonight. As a small boy growing up, I remember whenever I was about the age of eight, I loved to read about men who were rich. Loved it. I loved to read about men who were disproportionately rich. Men like Andrew Carnegie or John D. Rockefeller. If Rockefeller was alive today, he'd be worth $334 billion. He really didn't do too bad for himself. And I remember reading about him as a small boy. And I remember reading about men like this. And I decided at about the age of eight that that's what I was going to do with my life. I made a decision that I was going to be rich. Not just rich, but disproportionately rich. I was going to be one of the richest men that ever lived. I was certain. I don't think I ever doubted it for a second. That's what I was going to do with my life. Now, I've told my testimony before to people. And people always say, Brian, everybody at one point in their life wants to be rich. Sure, we all want that. But whenever somebody tells you that they want to be a millionaire, that means they want to be able to spend a million pounds. Whenever I tell you that I wanted to be a billionaire, that means I wanted to be able to make a billion pounds. And there's a difference there. There's a difference there. And so from a young age, everything I did was orientated toward that one goal. I was going to be rich. I remember in school, in school there was always somebody who sold chocolate and juice and crisps. There was always somebody in your class that did that. 
That was me. Although, I, I took it up a level. You see, I'm an entrepreneur. So I, I took it up a level. Because I used to hire people to do it for me. So, if you were in the year above me or the year below me, I would give you a fiver to start of the week and you sold sweets for me. And it worked for a little while. And that's, this is the things that I did. Uh, uh, the Rural Park Resort, outside Lamavani, there's a golf course. I remember going out with a bucket and collecting golf balls on the green and selling them back to the players at disproportionate rates, mind you. And that didn't last too long right enough because I honestly didn't know that you couldn't lift golf balls while people were playing golf. <laughs> didn't know you couldn't do that. Uh, so after about two days, I was told to leave. I remember being in fifth year, Lemavari High School. And I remember in fifth year, you had to go out and do a, a work experience for a week. And I remember arguing with my teacher, Mrs. Rosborough was her name. And I remember arguing with her, I don't need to do work experience. I don't need to go out and work placement. Because I'm not going to work to anybody. I'm going to be my own boss. And so I had this argument with her. And I didn't go, by the way. I just schemed the entire week. But this is the sort of mindset that I had whenever I was younger. I was going to be rich. And everything I did was orientated toward that one goal. But you know, at the age of about 16, just before I left school, there was a tragedy that impacted my family. My brother Gavin, he had a best friend. His name was Adam. And Adam was tragically killed in a car accident. And so my brother Gavin had to attend the funeral service and my dad along with him. And so both of them attended the funeral service at Limavati Baptist Church. And the man who preached at the funeral was Pastor Kenny Wilson. And my dad and my brother, after the funeral service, a few weeks later, my dad went to my brother and said, Gavin, we'll go out to Limavati Baptist tonight and we'll hear Pastor Wilson preach again. And so my brother and my, my dad went out to Limavati Baptist to the evening gospel service and they heard the gospel faithfully proclaimed. And, and shortly thereafter, my brother Gavin gave his life to the Lord. And my dad, shortly after that. And really what happened is that the Holy Spirit just swept through my family like spiritual wildfire. You can see that the prayers of my grandmother were answered in rapid succession. And all while this was going on, while my family members were getting saved, my, my brother, my dad, my mom, my sister... My dad asked me to go to church with him, and out of respect for my dad, I said yes. I said yes, I'll, I'll go with you. And I went out to Limavari Baptist, and again, I have to say, on the first Sunday evening, I heard the gospel faithfully proclaimed. I was heard the message about how I was a sinner in need of, save, of need of forgiveness. I heard the message of how I was bound for hell if I didn't repent and trust in Christ. And I really wish that I could say, on that night, whenever I heard the gospel preached, that I was so overcome with conviction of sin that I got down on my knees and prayed and asked God for forgiveness. I really wish I could stand here and say that to you. But that's not the case. I didn't do that. In fact, I did something very foolish. Because after that evening gospel service, I went home, I went to bed, and I went to sleep. I'll tell you why it's foolish to do that. Statistically, more people die in their bed than anywhere else in the world. Statistically. I want to tell you, friend, it is a very, very dangerous thing to go to bed without the Savior. Very dangerous. Because you don't know if you'll wake up again. 
Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you'll go home tonight and you'll go home and you'll dismiss everything that is said in this meeting and you'll get into your bed and you'll think, what Brian Cruz said from the pulpit, that's just nonsense. Never worry about it. And you'll go and you'll close your eyes and you'll go to sleep. My friend, what a foolish thing to do. How do you know that God will not say to himself, tonight I will require thy soul of thee? And you'll not see tomorrow. I want to tell you, friend, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. The people that died today had plans for tomorrow. The people that died this morning had plans for tonight. It happens all the time. My friend, you'll never know what a day might bring forth. Be sure not to leave this meeting tonight without the Saviour. Don't be foolish. And after that, a period of time, after a few weeks of attending Lama Valley Baptist with my dad, the pastor got up and he preached from one verse of scripture one night. Just one. And the verse of scripture was this. Mark chapter 8 verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I remember sitting in Limavati Baptist in a pew, much like you are tonight, and I remember thinking to myself, that verse is speaking just to me. That verse hit me like an arrow straight to the heart. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Whenever he preached from that verse of scripture, I thought to myself, Brian, that's you. That's you. I mean, Brian, if you gained all the money in the world, if you gained everything you ever wanted, and you died and went to hell, what good would it do you? If you gained all the money in the world, and you died and went to hell, what good would that have done you? None. None. I was so overcome with conviction of sin that night. But again, I have to say, I did a foolish thing. I went home. And I went to bed and I went to sleep. But I was so overcome with conviction of sin. It was the Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Whenever I was in my bed and I thought to myself, I have to get right with God. And so I got down off my bed and I thought to myself, I have to go somewhere quiet to pray. And so I went into the bathroom and I locked the door. And I got down on my knees and I began to pray. And I have to tell you, friend, tonight... I cannot remember what I said. I can't remember. But I know one thing. Whenever I said Amen, I knew I was saved. I knew I was saved. Not for anything really that I had said, but because I put my trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ. On Thursday the 24th of March 2011, the Lord Jesus Christ saved this sinner right here. Right here. I want to tell you, friend, it wasn't through anything that I had done. It's simply because I put my faith and trust in Christ. I want to tell you something else. There was no bright light from heaven. There was no audible voice of God. I didn't have a road to Damascus experience. But I want to tell you, my friend, my salvation was just the same. Just the same. If you're here tonight and you think to yourself, well, you know, whenever I got saved, I didn't cry. Whenever I got saved, you know, there was no voice of God. There was no light from heaven. Nothing like that happened. I want to tell you, friend, your salvation is not dependent on such things. Your salvation is dependent upon the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a certain work. It is a sure work. It is a finished work. 
My friend, would you not come tonight and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? After that, after that night, I know this is the cliche thing. Christians always say this, but this is true. Whenever I got up off the floor, I could have floated back to bed. Could have floated. It was like a ton of weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I got back into bed. The next morning I got up and I told my dad that I got saved. I told my sister I got saved at the kitchen table. And my sister said, you? Hardly. But yeah, God saved me. God saved me. And then after that, really, really I became a yes man for God. Really. Anything that I could do in my local church, I was there. Sunday school, I'm your man. BYF, yes sir. Campaigners, yep. Anything that I could do, I was there. I think at one stage, I only had one free night in the week. It was a Monday night. I was there as much as I could be. And I really did, I did something that I think every young man does at some point. I ran before I could walk, really. I ran before I could walk. And I was involved in so much in my church. I became a Christian at the age of 16. And at the age of 18, I started to preach God's word. I started to preach and to teach the Holy Scripture. And I remember after doing so, I realized that there was a very evident call on my life to preach and to teach God's word. Very evident call to do so. And I began to do it in different mission halls and in my own church and and different churches. But you know, after a while, my love for God grew cold and distant. And really after a while, I began to do things that no Christian man should do. I began to be places that no Christian man should ever be. I began to spend company in individuals that no Christian man should spend company with. I found myself in situations that no God-fearing individual should ever be in. Because my love for God grew cold and distant. And I want to tell you something, friend. And I firmly believe this. Whenever somebody falls in public, they've fallen in private long before. Whenever someone falls in public, they've fallen in private long before. Prayer has become a distant thought. Reading scripture daily or how often you do it, doesn't matter anymore. You've fallen in private long before. That was me. And I remember having a meeting with my pastor and one of my elders. And my pastor and my elder told me, Brian, the ministries that you're involved in, we can't allow you to do that anymore. You're going to have to take a step back. There's going to have to be a period of time where you can't do those things anymore. There was a period of time where I really had to regain the trust of my congregation, the trust of my pastor and my elders. I had to really regain that time, that that period that the locusts had eaten, as it were. And I remember leaving that meeting with my pastor and my elder, and I remember going into my room, and I remember thinking to myself, Brian, what a fool you've been. What a fool. I had sermons in my desk, and I tore my sermons up. I thought to myself, God could never use me again after what I've done. Why would he use a fool like me? Somebody who's fell away. A hypocrite. Why would he ever use a hypocrite again? I remember thinking, God could never use me ever again. But you know, there was a verse of scripture that came to mind. And it's a verse throughout that period that I really held on to. And it's Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16, it says this. For though a righteous man 
falls seven times, he rises again. For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. I fell in my walk with God, but Christ held me fast. Christ held me fast. And after a period of time where I regained back the trust of my elders and my pastor, I remember going back into into preaching very cautiously. And I remember after a period of time, my elders came to me and Brian, we know there's a very evident gifting in your life. We believe you should go to Bible college. Now, Bible college to me, that was just nuts. Nuts to go to Bible college. I hated school. Absolutely hated school. The only decent thing I did in school was grow. Grow was, was terrible. I hated it. And so my elders came to me and said, Brian, we believe you should go to Bible college. I remember being on the phone to one of my elders and telling him that you're absolutely crazy. But then again, a very clear direction from the Lord that that is where he would have me to be. And so uh, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., I'll be sitting in a class studying Romans. You know, in school, secondary school, hated it. Couldn't stand it. Bible college is different. I sit at the front. Why? Because you're learning about the things of God. You're learning from this book, this precious book, this book that contains the very words of God, this book that can change lives. What a precious thing. And so I find myself at Bible college and in my second year I find myself here at Grange Baptist Church and what a privilege it is to come and to spend time with you all as we share in ministry and as I open the word of God with you and you with me. God is good, is he not? God is good. If you're here tonight, dear friend, and you think to yourself that you're such a vile, wretched sinner, God could not possibly save me. I want to tell you something. If I ever preach a sermon and I tell you, maybe I will, if I ever preach a sermon and I tell you that, you're the, that God can save the most vile, wretched, evil sinner in the world, that's not because I think it's you. It's because I know it's me. It's because I know it's me. And if you're here tonight and you're backslidden, you're here tonight and inwardly you're a hypocrite, maybe people don't know you've fallen in private and people don't know, I want to tell you, friend, that God can reach his hand out and pull with all his might. God can save you and God can restore you wherever you might be in the path of life. My friend, don't be a fool tonight. Don't walk out of this meeting unsaved. Don't walk out of this meeting with a distant relationship with the Lord even just as I bring my testimony to a close I'd like for just five minutes of your time to just bring that verse of scripture again to the fore and just to spend a few moments on it Mark chapter 8 verse 36 for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul just for five minutes tonight I'm a good Baptist, by the way. I'm not long-winded, don't worry. I'd like to spend five minutes and just tonight show you the value of your soul. The value of your soul. Maybe you're here tonight, friend, and you think to yourself, you know what, I've measured the worth of my soul. I've measured the worth of my soul. And maybe you think to yourself, God's salvation, the kingdom of heaven, glory, a perfected body and a perfected mind, joy everlasting with God, it's not worth it. 
Maybe you've measured your soul's salvation. You thought to yourself, I prefer the world with all its pleasures, with all its possessions, with all its false promises. I want to tell you, friend, whatever you think in this world, in this existence, whatever you think is worth your soul's salvation, I want to tell you, if you think that you've got it all, if you think that what you have is better than salvation, you are so wrong. You are so wrong. An elder in my church in Lamavari told me one time that salvation is better tasted than told. It's true. It's true. I can't tell you what salvation is like. It's better tasted than told. But I want to tell you, friend, it is a wonderful thing to be saved. Amen? A wonderful thing to be saved. To have that assurance of sins forgiven. Maybe you're here tonight and you think to yourself that Brian and I prefer the world's possessions. The world's possessions. The world's pleasure. Any power that the world has. You think those things are better than your soul's salvation. And therefore you pursue the things of the world rather than your soul's salvation. I want to tell you something very simply, friend. I want to tell you this. There have been many people in the course of history that have sought to gain the entire world. Many people. An impossibility, of course. Men like Genghis Khan. Alexander the Great. Men like Julius Caesar have sought to gain the entire world. And they've only gained a fraction of it. But such men who gain a fraction of the world, well, they do it at the expense of their soul. And maybe you're here tonight and you've gained a small piece of the world, however small it is. You've gained possession, power. You've gained those promises, those false promises of the world. And you think it's better than your soul's salvation. I want to tell you something very simply, friend. Even if you did have all those things, you would only have them for a short, short while. I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God, you would only have them for a short while. Why? Because what does the Bible say? In James chapter 4 verse 14, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. You want to know what your life is, dear friend? I'll tell you what your life is. It's this. That's your life. That's your life. And that question that was asked in James, it says, what is your life? You see, it's not a question of philosophy. A philosophical question would be, what is life? No, it doesn't ask that. It's not a question of philosophy. It's not a philosophical question. It's a personal question. It's a pointed question. What is your life? What is the sum of your life? Is the sum of your life just the, the abundance of goods? Even though the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 12 verse 15 he says that life consisteth more than the abundance of possessions. I wonder dear friend if you thought about it all and you thought the world is far better than what anything Christ can offer I want to tell you you're full. You're full. You know you would tell me a firework is incredible if you've never seen lightning. You would tell me that a street lamp is powerful if you've never seen the sun. Anything that you think the world has to offer, I want to tell you, it pales in comparison to what God offers you tonight. Your soul's salvation, it pales in comparison. And there will be people who will tell you that in the world you'll not find satisfaction. You'll not find satisfaction. I don't actually believe that, but that's just me. I think the world can satisfy very much. If sin didn't satisfy, it wouldn't be tempting. 
But it does. Sin satisfies. But sin doesn't fulfill. It doesn't fulfill. That's why you always need more of it. Leonard Ravenhill once said that the devil's entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. The world can entertain you. It does a very good job at it. But you don't experience real joy in Christ Jesus. The value of your soul, dear friend. The value of your soul. Just as I bring this to a close, I want to remind you of one very important truth. How valuable your soul is to God. You want to know how valuable your soul is to God? I'll tell you. Whenever God created the entire universe, it cost God nothing. Whenever Almighty God created the entire universe, it cost him absolutely nothing. All God had to do to create the universe was speak. It cost him nothing. But to redeem your soul, it cost God a son. God had to die. The Son of God had to give his life. To create the universe, it cost nothing. To redeem your soul, it cost God everything. My friend, do you not see the worth of your soul tonight to God? That God would give his only son to die on that cruel cross of Calvary to bear the sin and punishment that you deserve so that you could go free and experience joy everlasting. My friend, do you not see the value of your soul? You know, it would be a terrible thing tonight if I closed the meeting and I left the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But the gospel is good news. Why? Because Jesus Christ is alive today. And that means tonight where you sit in this pew, you can come to Christ for forgiveness of sin. And the Bible says that Jesus turns away no one who comes unto him. In my opening prayer I told you that there's only one way to be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Whenever Jesus Christ said, I am the way, he meant that each and every other way led straight to hell. Each and every other way leads straight to hell. My friend, if you're here tonight and you're holding on to something else, perhaps to get you into heaven, maybe it's the fact that you were baptized as an infant, maybe it's the fact you were confirmed as a ch- in, a, uh, in a church somewhere, maybe it's the fact that you sit faithfully in these pews. I want to tell you, friend, whatever you're holding on to, to get you into heaven, if it's not Jesus Christ, abandon all hope. Abandon all hope hope. The only way to be saved is to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My friend, will you not do it tonight? You've been living in darkness long enough. Tonight is the night to get right with God. Amen. Amen.